Hi, and welcome to On Air with Clinical Respiratory News. I'm Nina Wiklund. And I'm Daniela Irsamtosi. And together, we'll be exploring news, ideas, and developments in sleep and respiratory medicine. On Air is intended for healthcare professionals only. Hi, I would like to welcome Dr. Patrick Murphy from Lane Fox Respiratory Unit at Guy's St. Thomas Hospital in London. Uh, hi, Nina. It's lovely to be here today. Hi, Patrick. And I would like to welcome Melike Degevia. You are a health economist by training and currently health economics and outcomes research director at Resmed. Hi, Nina. Hi, Melike. And Patrick, you are very well-known name for all of us working in uh, the field of sleep and home ventilation. And I was looking through uh, your list of publications the other day, specifically on home ventilation. And it's striking that you've been focusing on such a wide range of patient categories. You've been focusing on neuromuscular disease and obesity, hypoventilation syndrome and COPD. And you've been cooperating with peers from all over the world. Uh, what are you working on right now? So we're working on a, a range of studies at, at the moment, Nina, and, and really looking at building on those earlier trial data to see, you know, the further learning that's there. And as you said, we've worked around novel modes of ventilation in uh, beastie hyperventilation and uh, the large trial we did in the hot HMV trial in patients with COPD and more recently be looking at the health economic impacts uh, of the outcomes in those patient populations. So really looking not just about clinical e efficacy, but really looking also about that translation to uh, health economic and, and societal efficacy as well. Yeah, and that's something that we will talk more about today. But you're very well known in home ventilation for a study from 2017, the HOT-HMV trial that was published in YAMA in 2017, and that attracted a lot of attention. There may be some listeners that haven't heard about the HOT-HMV trial. Do you think you could give just a brief overview what you investigated? No, certainly. And I think it, it, it's a trial was a long time in the, in the making, and, and that was because... I think if we look back 10 years ago, home ventilation in COPD was an area where there was great uncertainty as to whether there was a role for that particular intervention. And there'd been a number of small studies that had shown good efficacy, but again, larger clinical trials that hadn't shown a potential role uh, for home ventilation in patients with severe COPD. And we designed the study as a UK multi-centre trial to look at patients with a recent life-threatening exacerbation of COPD. So they'd been admitted to hospital, they'd had acute decompensated respiratory failure, needing acute non-invasive ventilation. Um, and we wanted to pick up those patients who had persistent respiratory failure two weeks after the resolution of their acute illness. So these were a very particular phenotype of COPD patients in respiratory failure. We took those patients and we treated them with a titrated uh, ventilation strategy. So not just giving low pressure on invasive ventilation, but titrating up the pressure support for the home ventilator until we got adequate CO2 clearance in, the, in those patients. We followed them up for 12 months looking at a range of outcomes, but principally we were focused on admission-free survival as being the the core outcome. Uh, and we randomised 116 patients, so relatively small by some of today's home ventilation um, trials, uh, 58 into, into each group. And then we looked at the 
uh, at the outcomes over that 12 months time. And what it showed was a very clear separation uh, between those two groups. The patients receiving home ventilation were readmitted approximately 90 days later and they had about a 50% reduction in their risk of uh, readmission or death over the 12 months of the trial. So a very clear and powerful signal that this intervention in this particular patient group uh, had great efficacy in, in reducing uh, an outcome that is really important to patients, exacerbations, but also really important to the health system because of the impacts it has, you know, on hospital care. Yeah, and you pr published a, a study in Thorax in March this year, exactly on the home economic implications on, of the hot HMV study. Could you tell us why your study team decided to evaluate the health economic effect of home NIV? Well, I, I think it, uh, it is a really important step in the process of evaluating any intervention uh, that that we look at how it benefits patients, but also how it can be delivered effectively. And, and there's lots of talk about value-based healthcare. Uh, and when we're making decisions, uh, we should make them based on value, value for the patient, value for the system. The management of patients with CUPD, we often refer to what's called the sort of the value pyramid uh, for care in CUPD. And that pyramid has foundations of, of interventions that are high value, like such as uh, pulmonary rehabilitation, flu vaccination, smoking cessation. So th those values are very cost-effective and should be delivered to, to all. And then you move up that pyramid where you're you're getting interventions that are required by patients but may be more expensive to deliver, such as a bronchodilator therapy or telehealth as an intervention. And I think it is important when we're making these decisions to realise we have a certain amount of money and resource available and we want to make sure we spend that most appropriately. And having good, robust, reliable health economic data allows us to make those decisions and allows us to, to really go to health providers of healthcare in, in, in the UK, that's the NHS, and um, but in other systems it may be insurers and say, well, actually, this intervention makes a difference for patients and we should be delivering it because actually it's cost effective. And that becomes a really powerful argument then. Yeah. Uh, Melike, could you help us out, please? What does quali mean? It's very central in the article. Sure, Nina. Quali stands for Quality Adjusted Life Year. It's a universal outcome measure which combines the quality and also quantity of life. Quality is applicable to all individuals and all diseases, which make it a very practical outcome measure. It enables comparison across diseases and across programs, like Patrick mentioned, for example. In other words, we can compare pulmonary rehabilitation to home NIV in the management of COPD disease, but it's also it can also go beyond that. It, we can also compare home NIV to an intervention for a different disease. Ah, yes. And what did the data really show? Was uh, home NIV health economically viable? Um, so so we, we can look at the data from the study in, in a number of ways. I just before talking about the data, I think uh, all the results data, I think it's important to, to realize these data were collected in a very robust way. So these patient data um, were not extrapolated. They uh, were collected at an individual level. And by, by that, what I mean is for each of the patients involved in the trial, they had uh, a diary that they kept for the medication use, the patient, co their contacts with healthcare, 
um, and, and the hospitalisation. So it was a individualised, robust uh, assessment of that health economics system. We weren't extrapolating from other data. Now, what when we got all of those costs in and looked at each of those individual patients and how much resource they used over the 12 months of the trial, what we could see relatively easily is that there was, a, a, I think, as you might expect, there was a cost to giving someone a home ventilator and that cost is not insignificant. And in the UK system, that cost is in the order of £4,000 and, and that's uh, the, the cost that we used for the study. So we know that giving them the ventilator costs that money, but we also knew from the data that we collected in the study that they used uh, less resource in terms of contact with their GP, in terms of hospital admission, in terms of medication use for rescue packs. So that makes a big difference. And actually that £4,000 outlay for the ventilator was offset by about £3,500 worth of savings in, in terms of the, the, the cost for that patient per year. So the actual cost of giving them that ventilator was about £513 per patient per year as a net when you take in both the cost of the ventilator but the savings from the reduced healthcare. And when we look at the quality of life impact for that patient, and we used a tool called the Euroqual to measure quality of life in this patient group. That gave us a, a figure of a, of a, a slight increase uh, in terms of quality adjusted life years of, of, of about 0 0.05 quality adjusted life year per patient difference between the control group and the intervention group. And when you put those two figures together, the change in quality adjusted life years and the change in cost, that gives us a, an approximate cost per quality of about £10,000. Uh, and so that gives you an idea about the cost that you can expect the health system to pay for that one quality adjusted life year using this intervention. Um, and to make those findings more robust, what, what one does in a in an economic evaluation is use a number of different statistical techniques. And we used a technique called bootstrapping, uh, which then models the data that we collect using a thousand different iterations to see how likely the, the, the various different scenarios are. And what we could show uh, with that was not only was the average cost effective uh, at, at that sort of cost per quality level, but actually you could see that the majority of those different iterations and, and, and well over 80% uh, were shown to be uh, cost effective in all of those various iterations. You talked about uh, £10,000 per quality compared to home oxygen treatment alone. Uh, does that mean that home NIV treatment is cost effective? And that's a difficult question to answer and that, and that partly depends on the, the health system you're working in um, and uh, how you value uh, quality adjusted life years and, it, and in some health systems there are quite close guidance and in some uh, there the, the is less close guidance. In the UK we have an institute called uh, NICE, the, the, the National Institute for Clinical Excellence and they review data and look at treatments and interventions in various diseases and, and provide guidance as to whether those interventions can be applied in the NHS. And, and one of the thresholds that they use is the cost per quality. And they would normally use a cost per quality of, of around 20 to 30,000 pounds to benchmark whether something is cost effective. And therefore at 10,000 pounds, we're substantially under that. However, that cost 
cost per quality is not absolute, is not fixed. And as I say, it will vary slightly depending on the disease and the healthcare setting. Um, but in most healthcare settings uh, in the developed world, £10,000 would be seen as a highly cost-effective therapy. And Milike, how about the relation between qualities and cost-effectiveness? Um, Nina, this is very uh, helpful to put in the context for the listeners. Qualities are used as an outcome measure in cost-effectiveness analysis, and the results are reported as cost per quality. Then we compare this reported cost per quality ratio to the cost-effectiveness threshold defined in a country to judge whether an intervention is cost-effective or not in that jurisdiction. For example, in UK, cost-effectiveness upper limit is set to 20 to 30,000 pounds per quality. Therefore, we can conclude home and IV with 10,000 pounds per quality being below the upper threshold is a cost-effective therapy in the UK setting. So looking into the future, how do you think that uh, this kind of health economic analysis that we've been talking about today will influence your daily clinical decisions, Patrick? Nina, I think it's a great question. And this has changed over even the relatively short time that I've been uh, practicing medicine. And if we look at when I first qualified, individual clinicians would probably very rarely think about the value of the healthcare they were delivering. And health economic analyses were less common. I think we've come a long way and and we're all acutely aware that the decisions we make when treating patients need to be seen both at an individual level for that patient, but also in the context of the wider system. And that the healthcare we deliver to any one patient is going to impact uh, on the, the other patients that we look after as well and the interventions that we uh, we have available for them. I think having these data are really helpful at an individual level because when we're unsure about whether we can deliver a, a therapy to patients, if the system isn't set up to deliver that intervention effectively, because NIV is not a medicine that one just prescribes and gives, you need a selection of staff and uh, an organisation that is set up to deliver this effectively. Uh, and as an individual clinician, when I know I have the backing not only of the clinical efficacy, but also the health economic data, I can go to my commissioners to, to make sure that they are uh, aware of that information and properly fund the system to deliver this uh, intervention from, for, for the patients that I'm seeing in my clinical practice. So we will most likely see more health economic analysis in the future? I think undoubtedly that these are increasingly important and I think increasingly uh, understood and and uh, valued by clinicians. And in fact, for, for the majority of large calls now for the, uh, the NHR in the UK, the National Institute for Health Research, that almost all of their large calls along clinical trials require health economic analysis to be incorporated as part of that research. So you're not allowed to be funded by them to do the clinical question if you're not also going to answer the health economic question at the same time. And I think that sort of thinking is is really the way forward. So it will be very busy for um, all health economists, Meliki, in the years to come? <laughs> Seems so, Nina. Uh, but I can also add, um, on top of what Patrick highlighted, health policymakers are under a lot of pressure for efficient allocation of limited resources, not only in UK, all around the world. 
um, stakeholders need to make informed decisions. And I think we should consider health economic analysis from in this context. Health economic analysis can help them to make informed decisions. And therefore, these type of analysis will continue to provide very important input for daily clinical decision making and also for health policy making all around the world. And you are right, Lina, it, it's going to be busy for health economists. Absolutely. We are coming to the end of this session and uh, I would like to thank Melike and Patrick for this chat and to the listeners. If you want to hear more discussions on this theme, you can actually watch a webinar on the webinars.resme.eu called Home NIV in COPD Cost Saver or Cost Driver. There you can hear Patrick discussing with uh, Eline Ganson from Denmark about this theme. Thank you, both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Nina. Cheers. Thank you, Nina. Bye-bye. You've been listening to On Air with Clinical Respiratory News. For new episode alerts and clinical updates, subscribe to our newsletter.